What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chap. This is episode number 141. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going pretty well. Can you believe that we're naming this episode The Beauty of Mid and it's not about the beauty of Midnight Hunt? I'm sure people are wondering that. <laughs> they know I would yeah, do a whole episode. That's probably about a it. miss, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe we did do a whole one about the beauty of mid. I probably did at some point. But no, that this is not an episode about white weenies. This is an episode about uh things that are mid. You'll you'll see what I mean. Yeah, before you do, of course, our usual housekeeping. Check out the Discord if you're not already in that. It's the best place to be to chat with us as well as the rest of the Chaficionado community. Post your trophy decks, post your your what's the picks, and uh, just chat about life and anything else going on. The link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week over there. We are beyond grateful for all of you. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, today's of which was quite philosophical. It was a, it was a really good conversation, so definitely check that out if you're interested in our pre-show discussions. And uh, our Draft Draft Hero cards as well sent to you. We'll sign them and uh, get those out to you as well. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff Pod. All right, Ben, on to our Cracker Draft type thing. Looks like we have a pack one, pick two here. Pack one, pick two. This is pretty emblematic of the format. So pack one, pick one, obviously my, my rare was a Mirren safe house, you know, so we're not taking that. Uh, yep. I took a, um, a jawbone duelist, you know, the, the two mana one, one double strike uh, with uh, toxic one. So solid one, card. Yeah, it's solid. It's nice. I like it. And, and, and I like the white decks too, but here's where things go a little wrong. Uh, from here, we, well, let me just read you the pack. So we've got an oil gorger troll. Pretty good. You know, it's. It's good in the oil decks. Uh, you can't play too many five drops, and that deck sometimes has enough with the furnace striders and the oil gorger trolls. And maybe you have like a rare five drop or four drop, and you don't want to get your curve too high, like the you have the the dragon wing glider or something. So yeah, you, you can take these, but definitely not the kind of thing you want to second pick for sure. There's a shrapnel slinger. Uh, this this is not this is like filler two drop. This is yeah. not a card you really ever want to see in your decks, but like you're okay to play them in some like Artifacts Matters deck or whatever. Yeah, it's funny. They're good sideboard cards against artifacts. I've I've seen some people, um, I had an opponent once cast this and then trade one of their mites for one of my mites. And I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess this that kind of helps. But funny enough, this is a two drop that you don't really want in this set. And that is saying a lot, you know? Yeah. Next is Blazing Crescendo. That's the two mana plus three plus one exile top card combat trick. It's a pump spell, you know, but you don't want to take them second pick. Next is Vraska's Fall. That's the three mana edict. The one that I said I would never cast. I've cast it a few times. It turns out it's pretty good with the charge and the mites where you get to leave up both and then pick whichever one is appropriate. Um, but still definitely not something you really want in your deck or you want to be taking second pick. We've got a uh, Children's Head Cleaver. That's the four mana two for Toxic Two Menace. It's decent, but it's a four drop. <laughs> Don't really want that. There's Bone Picker Scourge. I think this one's pretty close to unplayable. I mean, at its very best, uh, you got to do a bunch of work and then it turns into a into a one for one. You know, you just don't have time to set this up as like a vampire Nighthawk in this format. It, you never have the Death Touch and Lifelink on turn three, or, or very rarely do you have this on turn three. And even then, I often find that the Death Touch and Lifelink didn't really end up mattering that much. Yeah, it's it's like a nice way to suit up an extra, you know, suit up your creature and get it to be a little more effective later on in the game, but still uh, not really where you want to be. 
There's a Malkator's Watcher, the two mana one one flying vigilance that dies and draws a card. An annoying card to play against, especially if you have X ones like a three one, and then you see this on the other side. Really annoying. Yeah, unfortunately, this card is blue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same with the next one, the uh, Gixian Anatomist, the four mana two five that gives you the option to tap it the turn it comes in to proliferate. Uh, two things that are terrible ideas to do in this format. Pretty much. There's Orthodoxy Enforcer, four mana two four Vigilance, and it gets two O oh, if you have two more artifacts. It's pretty easy to turn this on uh, with the Mandible Justiciar or with Mites or other things. Um, yeah, no, it's it's usually a four mana four four in the mid to late game. Still kind of filler though in most decks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is straight along the artifact vector. And if you're playing white, you'd rather be on the toxic vector. There's a gold warden's helm. Nah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I mean, the duelist wears, wears the helm nicely and you, you like equipments with a creature with double strike, but like the helm's probably one of the least impactful of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really, I mean, it's a three mana, two, three, you know, and, and the buff you get from this, like the equipment that sticks around afterwards, it's not, Good. It's not worth the equip yeah. cost, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I will play this pretty much only if I'm in like a Jorakadeen, like hardcore equipment deck. Uh, but besides that, n- not really. Uh, so that's all of our common options. What are you feeling? Oh, gosh, I'm feeling awful is what I'm feeling. Um, <laughs> I may take the Watcher here just out of like speculation. That or like Blazing Crescendo goes in pretty much every red deck I found. So I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be upset with the Crescendo. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not even thinking about what goes with my duelist right now because nothing in this pack really does. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the crescendo is probably the best thing that goes with the duelist. Yeah. Well, it's about to get worse because we've got three cards left. They're all uncommons. We've got an oxida finisher. That's the seven mana seven, five affinity for equipment trampler. Uh, I've seen this hit the battlefield exactly once in this format. I pacified it and swung for lethal. Yeah. This feels like at what point, are you happy casting this creature? Like it's got to cost like three or four for me to be happy in this format to even put it in my deck. Yeah. And that's just, you need an unreasonable density of equipment. And even then it's coming right. down too late. Like you'd rather have the other uncommon ogre, the five mana four, four, uh, sorry, five mana five, five uh, menace reach. Cause that stabilizes the board really well. That one's put up pretty good numbers so far. Um, but no, the finisher is, is just trash. There is an awaken the sleeper, the four mana turn against, yeah, I mean, I like this as a sideboard card against equipment decks because you can at least get rid of the equipment. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have any other ways to get rid of the creature. Normally these play out like you want them in your decks that can sack creatures so that you can steal the opponent's creature, attack with it, then kill that creature before they get it back. At least here you get the the added value of like just blowing up their equipment regardless of whether or not they get the creature back. Still not happy to play this. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I think I did get to side this in once against the Red White Equipment deck. And th- this card is smart in that it predicted that there'd be a, f- a phase of the game where your opponent will just stack all of their equipment on one creature, just Voltron style, and try to kill you with it. And then this just ends the game. So that's a super silver bullet in the sideboard. But we're talking about like a sideboard B plus here, you know, like maybe. Uh, yeah, we're, we're talking against, about a very situational sideboard B plus. Yeah. <laughs> Hyper situational. Like you could you could draft this card, be like, oh boy, my sideboard tech is sick, and then never play against red white. It's also a card that like when your opponent sees that happen, like if you see your opponent, you stack all your equipment on your creature and then your opponent plays Awaken the Sleeper, you're you're never stacking all your equipment in that match yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not and, doing and that. And even then, 
it is just a one man. It, it kills one thing, you know, it, it kills their equipments, right. right? But they already traded off the creatures that those equipments came with, presumably, uh, or right. they have them laying around still. It, it is still kind of functionally a one for one. But actually, no, not even that. It doesn't even <laughs> wait a minute. It doesn't even kill the creature. I'm thinking about the one that sacks at the end. No, this gives the creature back. This is like the weirdest. I don't yeah. even know. It's like a zero for I don't know. I don't know. It's like a zero for zero. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very weird. Like you can actually get multiple cards in value from this thing, but how that affects the board may or may not actually matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our last uncommon is Temio's logbook. I uh, think I'm just taking the crescendo and crying my way into the next pack. That is exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just taking a, a look around this pack, we see a lot of vectors, right? We see that the Tamiya's logbook has the artifact vector. We see the finisher has the equipment vector along with some of the junk in here. Malkator's watcher is the artifact vector. The helm is the equipment vector. The slinger, uh, I I don't really know, I guess the artifact vector, but it, you know, the slinger almost looks like it would be more at home in Neo. Like the slinger would be mm. awesome in Neo, right? Where you have like a bunch of little tokens laying around or artifacts that ETB with other things like the, the three drop flyer, the, the colorless one. Um, and then you have like some bigger, heavier stuff like the oil gorger troll or the enforcer or the anatomist. This was a depressing draft and I don't know how many depressing drafts I've got in me for a format, which admittedly can be fun to play. Uh, just not as fun as all of them. Now, is this trash? Is it, you know, totally unplayable? No, but we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Right. On to Richard Fairy Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, it was a big week for you. How was it? Yeah, well, it was my 26th birthday. So that's a... Yeah. There you go. The old 2-6. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of like an unexciting number to, to, to turn, I guess. Uh, I don't really, I don't really have any thoughts on it. It's just like, Oh boy, 26. Like, I don't know. It's not like turning like 18 or turning 21 or anything like that, or not even one of the big ones, like 30 or 40. This is just like, all right, still in my mid twenties, technically, I guess last year of it. So I'll enjoy that while I can. So that, that was cool. Saw some friends over the weekend. Um, now my, my Tibble is actually much, much more interesting. Uh, th th there's this someone that lives above me. Have I mentioned this on the show before? I don't think so. Oh man. Uh, we have been colloquially referring to this person as little drummer boy because whoever lives upstairs recently acquired a drum kit about two months ago. And I, I feel like it's every, you know, person that lives in an apartment buildings thing where the, like the person upstairs, they walk so loud. We've had people come into our apartment and like ask us if they're okay up there <laughs> because whatever is going on it involves shuffling and throwing and bouncing and it almost sounds like a like a hockey rink sometimes i want to know but anyway uh, a drum kit was added to the arsenal and I've, I've played drums since i was maybe 10 and to be honest it sounds like me when i was starting out and that's well and good i love the arts i will always support someone you know picking up an instrument but not at like 9 or 10 p.m. <laughs> Not at 8 a.m. on Sundays when I'm trying to sleep in. Uh, and especially, especially not if you're going to skip through and like speed through your paradiddle practices to just get to doing huge bass riffs and like hu huge like tom riffs and huge like like double bass fills. Like what is happening up there? Build the fundamentals first. Like I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't and even your know. teacher like, is showing. I know it is. <laughs> and to be honest, I have thought about leaving a note where I, I thought about being like, you should maybe consider buying a drum pad <laughs> like, so that you could do this not late at night. 
Anywho, that's about, that's enough Tybalt stuff for me this week. I'm, I'm behind on work as usual. Uh, one is kind of meh. It's whatever. Uh, how about you? Um, so I'll start with my Teferi because it's fun. My Tybalt is a little ridiculous as well. Um, my Teferi is that NF, one of my favorite artists, uh, dropped a new song and it is absolutely incredible. Hmm. And uh, this is after like three years of total radio silence from NF. He's done like nothing publicity wise. He's not a big, he doesn't really like doing publicity or like interviews or anything. So we just haven't heard from him for like three years. And then he dropped this song and it's like, hey, a new album comes out next month. And we're just like, what? Interesting. And it's incredible. Really good song. I'll have to check it out. I don't think I know enough. A rapper? Oh, yeah. It sounds yeah, like yeah. very familiar. Yeah. All right, I'll check it out. Um, yeah, all of the cool thing with his music is that like every album builds on the last. They're all they're kind of like story albums. Like every song is neat telling part of a story and the whole the story is his life. And so every album, it's like a look into his brain of like where he's been while he's working on the album. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. Um, nope. My Tybalt is, uh, well, Monday morning, right? We, we're recording on a Wednesday. Monday morning, I get a text from an old colleague of mine who lives in the same town as me. I was like, hey, do you have water? I was like, uh, yeah, I did this morning when I showered anyway. And he was like, well, um, check this out. And he sends me a link. Turns out some contractor was laying gas lines. Uh-oh. And in the midst of doing that, they punctured or or struck a water main. And striking that water main caused a rupture at a different point in that main. And so um, the whole town was at, without water for two days. <laughs> whoa, whoa, how is this the first time hearing about this? That's nuts. I don't know. Yeah, the whole town was without water for two days. Um, after this, after the first day, they like they set up um, like water stations throughout the city. So you lost to water. Go and like, oh yeah, totally. Completely. <laughs> what the heck? That's nuts. Um, yeah, and here's the thing: uh, this town's water infrastructure is like a lot of the pipes and everything are like over a hundred years old because for some uh, reason uh, they just didn't make updates. And then in like the '90s, they sold off the contract that allows them to do updates. And part of the sale was that no updates could be made to the water infrastructure for like 30 years. Hmm. And that just ended in like 2018. So they're just starting to make updates to these really, really, really old pipes and stuff. So hopefully it won't be an issue, but we have water main breaks like at least once a year, most years more than that. Yikes. I guess just like keep a case of water on hand and to shower. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's my table. I got it back though. So we're good. Yeah. For now. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Gus, and Gus says, since you guys have some cinema background, what is your thoughts on the cinema trying to create cinematic universes copying Marvel? This question comes from my prediction that next set, we're going to have an endgame style of scene where everyone coming is like coming together to fight uh, either as some kind of trailer or like the, the um, typical sort of video they put out, I guess, between sets, mm-hmm. or as a spotlight card with all the, the different magic characters on it. Huh. This is a great question. So as someone who was pretty into the Marvel movies and has since fallen off a bit, haven't really watched or really cared too much about anything since uh, Endgame and like the, the end of the Thanos arc, which I thought was really entertaining and, and, and well done and somehow balanced so many interesting characters and gave them all good time and had a pretty interesting action. And there's some there's some junkers in there, but like certain Thor movies, and, but the overall fantastic time. Since then, I have been less impressed with studio attempts to create cinematic universes. Um, the continuation of Marvel, which obviously they had to do, they had to keep going. Um, I guess, like I said, I haven't really cared too much about some of the ones like uh, the, the extension of the Star Wars series. A lot of the Star Wars series I've thought to be a little rough 
Kenobi, I thought was a little rough. <laughs> Some aspects of Mandalorian are a little rough. Um, I don't know. I think there is a there's a lack of ability to make things end. And sometimes ending something at the right point is the best thing that a creator could do for a certain IP. Whereas now I just saw that the trailer for Peter Pan, uh, not looking like something I'm going to see <laughs> it, it like the color palette is just, I don't know. It's Peter Pan, but it looks like, it looks like a Zack Snyder film. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what's going on over there, but do you bleed? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Um, and now recently I saw just a tweet saying that who owns Lord of the Rings? Is it Warner? Um, I think I can't recall now because Amazon owns some of the movie rights, I think now to yeah. do the shows and stuff. Whatever like media conglomerate is in charge of Lord of the Rings right now. Uh, there was an announcement that went out like a day or two ago saying that they see it becoming the next Star Wars with many more movies coming, more TV shows I don't like the idea of that very much. <laughs> That's an interesting one, actually. I could go on. I feel like we should have a side conversation about this because I, I could I have some thoughts on the Lord of the Rings aspect in, in that it could be good. I'm also skeptical. Um mm-hmm. and I'm with you on the Star Wars stuff. A lot of the Star Wars stuff has been pretty meh. But Star Wars was like the OG cinematic universe, right? Like Yeah. Kind of I don't know that we had it. a cinematic universe where it was like multiple trilogies of movies happened before star Wars. I feel like that was the first one, except maybe Indiana Jones, but same studio. Um, yeah. Marvel did a great job with what they did, but they gave us 10 years of backstory before they like, it was 10 years of building up the same story arc. Right. Mm. So they took their time with it. Most studios don't take their time with it and they, they just want the cat, the quick cash grab. So they're crap. And I think because of the character's, kind of either dying off or leaving or whatever in the MCU at the end of Endgame. Um, those of us who have been on this 10 year journey with that whole Thanos arc are kind of just done with it. Like that story ended and new characters yeah, are coming in point. and they're starting a new sort of a new series of, of uh, sagas or whatever. And that's great. And that's probably for people who are just getting into Marvel more yeah. than, than uh, those of us who've been on the, on the journey for a while. Um, Magic's been doing the cinematic universe thing, quote unquote, for a long time. I mean, the multiverse has been a thing f- pretty much since the start of Magic. So um, the multiverse idea, I think, is is great. And I think it's actually going to be kind of cool to see non-planeswalkers get to j- interact with each other that never otherwise could. Um, what they do with it outside of March of the Machine, I'm curious about. Like, Aftermath is going to be something I'm very intrigued to see story-wise, like where that goes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the show is going to be, I mean, the, the season having that set is going to be so short. Maybe we will do something extra for the flavor town or something to go into the story and speculate on some things there. But, um, so far it's looking really fun. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of all I can say about the magic aspect. I think in general studios should stop trying to do the cinematic universe thing and just make good movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I feel like everybody's going into movies nowadays making like, like they don't announce they're doing one movie. They're like, we're doing three of these movies before the first one even comes out. And it's just like, ah, yeah. And like the, the rise of the end credit scene, teasing the next thing saying when someone's going to be back, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's good for movies. Uh, I'll say two examples here. Uh, everything ever all at once. One of my favorite movies of the last year. It's awesome. It's, it's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's goofy. It's heartfelt. And it has nothing to do with anything. It probably draws the most visual and thematic inspiration from the matrix, but it's also about like intergenerational trauma and immigrant households. And it has a lot going on. It will never be a cinematic universe. 
it never should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, there's a lot of people out there that are thinking like, when will we get the sequel? I don't think that's a great <laughs> approach to have. I think the directors are going to keep making awesome movies, but it'll have nothing to do with the last one. The other example I want to cite is um, Gandhi Tartakovsky, who is known to bounce from creative project to creative project and occasionally rebooting and expanding things uh, like Samurai Jack, for example, which was brought back for the, the incredibly good fifth season uh, many, many years afterwards. But uh, it allowed him to do what he as an artist like wanted to do rather than making it for the sake of, oh, we should add more Samurai Jack seasons. This was an artist, a, a brilliant creative saying, this is what I want to do with my time and, and effort. Uh, and it was it was great. It was it was worth it. So. I think I'd like to see the focus shift back more towards the creatives. I think in magic, we kind of have maintained that the entire time, right? Like this, like Thalia riding the Gitrog. There's clearly some heart behind this, right? Like these are, these are jokes and, and like, uh, Galta and Mavrin and Multani and Yargle. Like these, these were the cards created by people that care about where this is going. So while they said there's going to be like a big, revolutionary upending to to the way magic works or like the multiverse works or the story works in the in our next few sets i'm not too worried actually yeah neither am i i i like this sort of change with something that we've had that's been stagnant i would say for a long time like we've just had like set to set okay we moved to a new plane we've got a whole bunch of planeswalkers that are part of the, the main part of the story okay move to the next plane do the thing it's been kind of stagnant in that way i'm i'm excited actually for a big shake up to change things up and yeah. uh, i'm curious to see where it goes um i guess this is another chit in favor of us doing a, a movie podcast <laughs> <laughs> but with that uh, yeah. on to our main topic the beauty of mid and not midnight hunt yeah, the beauty of, of true mid, a classic five out of ten, something right in the middle. Uh, so one has been up for, I had to check, it's been up for like three weeks, but it's starting to feel like longer. Uh, speaking for myself and maybe you, I'm, I'm kind of feeling done with it. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of off it. I think the main reason for that for me is uh, the potential for poor draft experiences. The gameplay in general is quite good. I don't think I've really had bad gameplay yeah um i guess barring the occasional like my opponent plays a bomb when they're super behind and i just lose the game but that's part of magic and you kind of have to deal with that if you're going to play magic yeah but the draft and the draft portion of playing this limited environment is pretty swingy and i don't really like that Mm -hmm. yeah so the question is is this uh is this feeling normal or is this like a growing long-term thing I've got a hypothesis that I'd like to share, and I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts on this in, in Discord. Uh, hyperbole, the, the over-exaggeration of reactions to a set, I think it's starting to eat away at at least the, the online community. Uh, and I think that sometimes you have to really appreciate a 5 out of 10 set. So more, more on our thoughts on, on uh, one. I do actually think it's about 5 out of 10. I could see maybe playing with it more and thinking it's closer to a 4, or maybe playing it more and thinking it's closer to a 6. I think the draft is much worse than usual, though, for sure. It's like a yeah. three or four experience out of 10 for me. Uh, I think I've opened over 15 mirror and safe houses. And like you can only do that so many times. And uh, then afterwards, you're, you're met with picks that don't really have a clear vector decision or vector direction. It's almost like we cracked the code with vector theory, right? Like we, we figured out the underlying almost like game design principle behind a lot of magic. But then it's as if for this set, they just stopped doing that and they switched to like a worse, 
like code. Once we cracked the good one, now they're like, all right, now here's a bad one. Um, it's like we know what it should look like. We know how we should be able to solve this format. And this format was solved almost instantly. Just play a bunch of red and white and green one drops. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. the interesting piece there is, is I remember back in the format breakdown, I mentioned that I was worried that this set was going to feel uh, too, like that the vectors or the different decks that you can put together in this set were going to feel too similar. And while I don't think that's true, I think what I was seeing there and not able to really articulate was that the draft experience is too muddy. There's, there's mm-hmm. not really those clear lanes or directions when the, when they are there, it's crystal clear, right? When they're these awkward packs that just kind of like, like we saw in our, our crack draft type thing where it's just, okay, I guess I just take this weird common that I hope works out. I don't, I don't know. Like we, there's yeah. a lot of that experience. Yeah. I really do prefer the draft environments that have a lot of interesting first pick vector build arounds. And these are often found at rare, but they're also often on commons. Um, and there are vector build rounds in this set. A lot of them just point in bad directions, uh, literally directions with low win rates. And the other ones are, some of them are just you know, very interesting. I mean, there are some in this set. Um, Urbrask's Forge, for example, or Venerated Rot Priest. These are some cards that are interesting to pick. Pack one, pick one. You can do something cool with them. And if you do that cool thing, you'll win games with them, right? It's just that you don't get a lot of variance after the, the these, like, like first picks you often just take the on vector cards and pray your opponents didn't have a better draft than you did like i don't know you just if you first pick an herbrask's forge you're probably going to go into red green oil and you're probably just going to take the oil stuff because otherwise you'll wind up with a messy deck that doesn't have vector synergy with forge i don't know it's almost like it's out of your hands as to whether it's going to be a good draft experience or not yeah and we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago where the 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 vector directions in this particular format coincide quite nicely with key mechanics in the format. And sometimes I would say a lot of the time that's the case, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are these like cool, intricate vectors that are a culmination of different mechanics in the, in the format. Mm-hmm. In this format in particular, they are so tightly aligned that you literally just take, as Ben mentioned, if, you, if you're first picking a, an Urbresk Forge, you take every card that says oil counters on it for the rest of the draft and that's your, that's your deck. Yeah, that doesn't feel fun. And nope. and even when you pivot, you're pivoting off of that. So maybe you, you take a you take an Urbest Forge, Forge pack one pick one. And by like mid pack one, you realize, OK, red's not open at all. So you pivot to like, I don't know, uh, you take an, uh, the attendant, right? The white card that like bounces something. OK, now you're kind of in like the toxic direction and you just take every card with toxic on it and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. And then you gave up some of your like vector equity because you had a strong vector card, like something pointing along the oil direction. That was a strong card, uh, a long vector. And now you're just going to go up against opponents who are seeing your like attendance and they just have better cards than you do because it, it just so happened that, I, I don't know, I guess what we're trying to summarize is that it feels like the draft experience, it's not as guided by your own decisions, you know, and, and it's not as guided by your own, skill um it feels a little too out of your hands yeah signals are really weird to read in this format there almost aren't any in a lot of drafts yeah like what's the signal in that pack we saw above like what am i not nothing really because they took a rare but like imagine seeing that pack a few picks later like what are the best cards that are taken out of this like what are you supposed to look at that pack and think is open i don't know i i find a lot of the cool draft experience to be trying to figure out what my opponents or the people to either side of me are in and looking at those late cards and getting cool things. But 
I don't know. It's almost hard to put into words, but I think we both know what it feels like for a draft to not be as fun as normal. And I think we're both definitely experiencing that. Yeah. And I would say we're not the only ones. I think a lot of people who are, who are down on the format, I think it's because of the draft experience, not because of the gameplay, because in fact, a lot of the gameplay, even with a bad or mediocre deck is pretty fun. Like the gameplay in general, there's a lot of decisions to make. There are a lot of ways you can kind of eke out value on the board. In general, it's pretty fun. Yes, there are those situations where your opponent slams a bomb and you're just, okay, I lose the game. But in general, even a lot of the bombs that we thought were going to be super bomby, like the Eternal Wanderer or Thrun, are quite beatable. And Mm -hmm. that makes gameplay even more fun because when your opponent slams a bomb and you get to win through it, you feel great. Yeah. But, But the draft experience is just so unfortunately bad like it just feels awful to get into a draft you know i think it actually has the same problem that the draft shaft cube had in its first iteration exactly i think a lot of the cards are just too on vector you know that they're so deep into one vector and they don't have enough cross vector uh, application and that's something that it admittedly was difficult and took us time to fix in the further iterations of the draft shaft cube but we're experiencing the same thing here right like once you slam your powerful i don't know like there, there definitely are strong cards in in multiple colors like say uh say you slam a kaito like pack one pick one are you like oh boy time to draft blue black (laughs) like let me pick up all these great blue and black cards uh but that feels like what you're probably supposed to do because kaito is just so good that having in your deck might be the best option for you that draft yeah and those are actually in my in my opinion those are the most off the rails drafts because you don't want to be in either blue or black (laughs) So you're like torn between I open this really cool rare and if I get cards in these colors, I can make a deck that's going to be really strong in a vacuum, but it may be really weak in the format because these colors aren't, aren't well supported in the meta of the format. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so then you're kind of like, okay, do I actually play blue black or do I just find a way to splash this card and really try to look for a vector that lets me do that no matter what colors I end up in. So those can kind of be the more interesting. I think the other part of this, this format feeling bad in terms of the draft experience is that not only do you have this really sort of stale decision process where you're not really making choices, you also just have like, I don't have an excitement feeling or an excited feeling when I open packs. I'm like, fingers crossed it's not a mirror and safe house. Fingers crossed it's not a mirror and safe house. Or any of the other like five or six rares that I don't want to open. And every pack, I'm just anxious that I'm going to open this dud rare that isn't going to get me anywhere. And then I'm yeah. like, okay, back to drafting these cards that I don't really care to pick anyway. So I, I, if we're sticking with the out of 10 rankings, I would say the gameplay is somewhere like a six or a seven, probably closer to a six. Uh, and maybe lower for those out there that don't love one drops quite as much as I do. Yeah, the oral stuff's fun. A good red green deck feels nuts, uh, especially if you get it going. Um, yeah, so, some of the gameplay is unique. I'll give it that. Oil counters are unique. We're probably not going to see anything like that again for a while. But sometimes this does all get negated, similar to the draft experience by, I don't know, something that feels out of your control, right? Sometimes they do have that big bomb that's just something your deck can't answer. Uh, I actually played a, a black-white deck that had Kaya in it. I think two or three opponents scoop with Kaya on the stack, which, I don't know, I think it's a more interesting game when you can fight through your your opponent's best cards and, and when they're beatable. I think uh, that that's when gameplay is best. But those opponents simply said, well, that's the end of the game. And I, I don't know, I, I can't say I'd rather be in my opponent's position there where then all of the interesting gameplay decisions they did get to make on turns one through seven are negated by my single turn top deck. Like that's not, that's not a very fun and engaging game of magic, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue that that's the case no matter what. Like if you're top decking a card for the win, then it negates all your opponent's previous decisions. But when it's, it's this, it's the, I think it's the games where it you're close or at parity and mm-hmm. uh, you top deck something where that doesn't feel quite so bad because you're like, this was a really close game. Yeah. They had the card that whatever, but when you're like really far ahead, and then your opponent just top decks a Kaya or some similar bomb. And you're just like, well, I literally, I can't win. I've mm-hmm. made all the right decisions up to this point and I'm in the driver's seat of this game, but I just can't win from here. Um, that feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a takeaway from this, if a set has too few like fun vectors, like for example, like blue black. Yeah, you can play it. I don't know if anyone's out there being like, yes, I love proliferating. You know, just proliferating, not adding counters to anything. But yeah, oh, put your yeah, hand not down. so much that. <laughs> well, remember, I mean, blue black. Like, what are you really doing when you proliferate? Yeah. Like, you're not putting one one counters on anything. You're probably not putting loyalty counters on anything. And those are the fun ones to do. Are you putting another oil counter on your your one four bird? Like, is that what everyone's hyped about? I'm I, putting I just them don't on think like, it's that fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think having too few fun vectors, having too few good vectors, right? I mean go look up some of Sirkovitz's recent threads about the win rates. Um, and also having too few interesting rares and uncommons that are interesting vector build arounds, or maybe even like off vector build arounds, maybe even ones that pull you in a slightly different direction that most times you wouldn't play in. And then you're like, Oh boy, I get to do this exciting thing. There was all will be one in this set. It was really interesting, but it took my red green deck from like a, like an eight out of 10 to a nine out of 10. It was a really good red green deck. Um, it didn't pull me in something new, you know, like it, it still was the same experience as just playing a red green deck. So I think all of these aspects combined lead to a, an experience that's going to get stale pretty quickly because, you know, we've seen all the commons. We know the play patterns, turn one crawling chorus, turn two, whatever that thing was that the, the bladed, like whatever, I'm, I'm kind of off it. So what can we take away from this? Uh, you say your thing first. Yeah. So if I were taking a step back and listening to us talk about this format, I would say we sound pretty down on it. But if we go back to those numbers, you said gameplay was a six or seven out of 10. The draft is maybe a three or four out of 10. And we're averaging that out to about a five or a six. We're both kind of on the same page with this. That puts this set at just being pretty mid, right? Like it's not bad. It's not good. It's not something I would want too much of, but I think this actually could be a really solid palate cleanser for what's to come. And I think that's, that's kind of why we wanted to talk about this topic because not everything needs to be really awesome or really awful. Yeah, let's and not everything is into this uh, in real life, right? Not everything is a zero out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. But if you look at magic Twitter, they will tell you that everything is either a zero out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. The new wizards announcement is either the worst thing to ever happen or it's fantastic and it saved the game. And you can probably think of other aspects of you know, your, your life where you've seen things like this, whether it's movies or food or, or things at work. I think sometimes social media leads us away from understanding that polarization, I don't know, it can cloud our judgment a little bit. Uh, it's easy in, in our era of social media to veer towards one of the extremes, right? But I mean, here at Draft Chaff, we're not afraid to be mid. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of our brand. And and I'll say too, I think part of it is social media. Part of it is the fact that it, social media is often just this like 
this big echo chamber, right? Where you kind of see the things that you're interested in seeing and it just keeps feeding you those things because that's how the algorithms work. And so if you're interacting with folks who are saying something is really awful, you're just going to see that a lot. And if you're interacting with folks who are saying something's really awesome, you're just going to see that a lot. And it's kind of hard for those algorithms to, I guess if you were interacting with content that is like mid in terms of like what it's talking about, uh, you'd see a lot of that, but those typically don't attract attention because I guess maybe there's less conversation to be had there. I think... I think maybe that's part of it. But at the end of the day, for me, like if I if I take a step back and I think about this, like just myself, right? No matter how good a format is or how bad a format is or how good a song is or anything, any sort of media or, or basically anything in my life, at some point I'm going to stop doing that thing. Mm. And that's kind of the way I look at sets is like, even if this is the best set ever to be printed, I will eventually get tired of it and stop playing it. Mm. I might do that faster for a bad set, but that's fine because that just means I have more time to go do something I'm actually enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to a medium set, something that's like kind of in the middle, I get to play it a little bit longer. I still get my, my magic fix and then I move on. And and again, I think it's a nice palate cleanser where I don't feel awful about drafting, but I'm excited and ready for the next thing. But I think mm-hmm. when when a set's too good, I can be a little disappointed when it's over, but um, this just puts you in a nice spot for me. Like I said, I, I'm really thinking of it as a palate cleanser. You're not going to see this kind of take pop off on, on social media. I mean, social media tends to trend things that elicit strong emotional responses, right? And what elicits a stronger emotional response than saying, oh, I love this thing and having everyone agree, or I hate this thing and having everyone agree, or we, we know usually you're going to see in the replies people disagreeing <laughs> with whatever you're saying <laughs> rather than agreeing with it. I think it is a, a good skill to be able to analyze when something is just right in the middle. It's good to remember that this is opinion based, right? This is saying that it is X out of 10 for you. And this might be different for other people. If one is your favorite draft set of all time, awesome. Go nuts. Play a bunch more of it. Uh, enjoy. And we can be happy for you for that, right? But I think on average, if, if enough people are saying it's kind of uh, not a great experience, a lot of folks will tend to just say, oh, this set sucks. Let's give it a little more credit than that, right? There, there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, I have found some pretty fun things to do in, in this set. I'm just not going to do them for that much longer, right? It's not like DMU, which I'm going to play over and over again, or Original Dom, something like that. Uh, so credit where it's due, I think a 5 out of 10 is is pretty good. Uh, I thought for reference, I would pull up my letterbox since we're already on like a movies kick and share with you some films that I have ranked uh, two and a half stars or three stars out of 10 or out of, out of five in this case. So, you know, five or six out of 10. Uh, I've got Bullet Train, that that new action uh, action movie. It's entertaining. It's funny. Is it a masterpiece? No, <laughs> but it's certain of a, it's a movie that I'd watch again with some friends. Uh, I've got uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, just, you know, it's good. It's not, it's not one of Wes Anderson's best works, but I think it's, it's solid. You know, it's definitely worth the watch. It has great aesthetics. Uh, I put in Kanto at, at about a three out of three out of five. It's good. It's entertaining. It's uh, emotionally resident, but it's not perfect. I'm happy to admit the things that are good are in the middle, you know, <laughs> but that's what they should be. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I think we, like I said, with, with the social media aspect, I think we tend to get into this point of view where you have to take a firm stance on something and taking a stance is, is very valuable. Don't, don't get me wrong there. I think just for when it comes to forming an opinion about most things, it's probably not great to just be like in the middle. And I actually can be really bad about that. One of my greatest strengths and greatest weaknesses is that I'm very objective. I'm, I'm 
almost objective to a fault. And so a lot of times it, it paralyzes me for making decisions because I, well, I don't know the full story, you know, or something like that, or, or forming an opinion about an event because I don't know the, all the different aspects that go into it. At sometimes that can be bad. So it, it can be good to be making strong pro or anti um, stances on something. But sometimes it's just good to recognize that things are just okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, we're looking at this from an entertainment perspective because you're playing a game generally to have a good time, right? To enjoy something or to, to entertain yourself. Um, and if, if it isn't that great of an experience, then sure, you feel like you wasted time. But again, that's where you just kind of tell yourself, okay, I guess it's time to stop doing this thing. So if you're going to stop doing this thing, like I think maybe we might, I'll be honest, I'm still going to play some drafts, you know, when I, when I feel like firing up, but if there's a different rotating draft, maybe I'll try that instead, or maybe I'll try out some new constructed decks. Here's some other things that you could do. Uh, build a new commander deck or maybe update an old one. Something that I always forget to do is update my old commander decks with like new cards that have come out. I think I should probably put ossification in like most of my white All decks, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've just got a bunch of them laying around now and th there's other cards that I've acquired the recent stuff. Like time to just update some old decks. Um, this would go for, for brawl decks if you're more an arena player too, but uh, th there's new, even just new lands that have come out, right? Just, Go make sure all your stuff is up to date. Oh, that's right. They added default basics. Go go set your default basics. I have now set my SpaceX as my default basics. <laughs> or maybe check out the draft half cube or work on a cube of your own. That's a really fun experience getting to build a set. And maybe it would help you if you're finding yourself very often on one of these polarizing points of view or getting kind of trapped in that echo chamber. Working on a cube of your own might help you realize that like designing these sets isn't trivial. It's not the easiest thing in the world to design a good set. And so yeah. uh might give you a little extra appreciation for, for folks, especially when they do come out with a real banger, because then you'll be like, wow, this, this took a lot of work and mm -hmm. um, it really paid off. So designing a cube is something like, it's like a mix of chess and Sudoku. And uh, then also a, kind of like writing a research paper and also a lot of spreadsheets are involved. So uh, if you're trying to some... avoid impulse purchases and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's too. Maybe look into constructed. Standard is pretty big and grindy right now. If you're a fan of the uh, huge like value piles, there's certainly a bunch of that going on. I think Atraxa is sneaking into like black red decks, just being cast off treasures. I don't know, but whatever's happening in Standard, there's some wacky things happening. Uh, Pioneer has gotten fast and lean, but it's pretty diverse. So Explorer for for on Arena. Uh, I think I've been playing in the, in the Explorer queue for a while. I've been testing out this mono white deck that I've been slowly assembling in paper. And I, I tend to play against like 10 different things in 10 different matches. So that's been a pretty cool experience. And um, there's Historic and Alchemy. Yeah, so anyway, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about things that aren't mid. Um, yeah, or maybe just like go to FNM and try drafting something in person. Like they have all sorts of different... Uh, events you can run at your local game store and so if the current set's not your thing maybe go try one of those or give mtgo a try because apparently um one of the remastered sets is coming back to mtgo soon so you could give that a try yeah this is a great time to get an mtgo and i have a few other recommendations for if you're looking to get a fix of magic content but maybe not playing limited uh, and those other formats aren't doing it for you i would recommend watching phyrexia is hell the new Ristic studies video it's long, it's fantastic, it's well-researched, it's beautiful. It is, uh, it's chilling, and, and it's, it's an awesome retrospective on the history of this game that we all uh, love so much. So uh, you can also check out Magic Arcanum, maybe catch up on some lore. Or if you want maybe real-life lore, 
uh, Channel Fireball has put out some cool legacy videos and like grudge matches and even retrospectives on uh, like old pro tours and things like that. So if maybe this new pro tour got your got your nostalgia fired up, um, you could go back and honestly just go back and watch some of like the the best matches from like old feature matches. Uh, I'm thinking like uh, pro tour shadows or, or things like that. Um, there's plenty of ways to get your kick that. Maybe don't involve spending gems on a format that you're getting tired of. Don't force yourself to draft, you know? Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a, an interesting conversation for you. Let us know in the Discord if you enjoyed it. And if you're not in the Discord, jump into our episode description or our Twitter page to get the link to that. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. And if you'd like to find us outside of all those different mediums, you can find us on Twitter at draft chaff pod. Thanks folks. And we'll talk to you next week. So I started watching the last of us. Have you seen it yet? Okay. I haven't. Are you familiar with the games? Yes. So part of the reason I haven't watched the show yet is that I loved the first game. Never, mm. never touched the second one, but I really enjoyed the first one. And I kind of wanted to sit down and watch like a, a super cut of all the cutscenes mm, from the first yeah. game before I watch the show, just so I can kind of have the two to compare. Well, you may as well actually just watch the show. Cause it's, <laughs> it's pretty close to that. I saw when, before it came out, I saw some screenshots where they were, uh, I guess the studio was showing like side by side screenshots from the show and the game. Yeah. And for the most part, they, they were pretty spot on. Yeah. There's a lot of direct parallels, shot for shot remakes, uh, particularly in the intro uh, with uh, Joel and his daughter. No spoilers, but, but um, it goes down, I, I mean, for, for the most part, exactly like I remember. And maybe my memory is a little foggy because <laughs> it's been so long. But uh, the changes that they made are great, well justified. Um, and the the things they kept the same are, that I mean, it feels just like the game. So if you love the first game, I think you'll love this. Um, it has the HBO polish to it, you know, like that... Most seasons of Game of Thrones <laughs> add to them where uh, y- you you know what you're getting is is going to be pretty good. Um, honestly, one of the only real changes is uh, we get to see a lot more of, of Joel's face because it's Pedro Pascal. Like, come on. <laughs> that, that's where the money is. Uh, but they're talking about some... shows that don't let you see Pedro Pascal's face. Let's talk about Mandalorian too. Uh, the new episode drops today uh, as of our recording. Maybe we've even seen it by the time this comes out. So if you want to talk about it, let us know in the Discord. We, we can hit you up about it. But uh, yeah, as we mentioned even earlier in this episode, I've been getting lower and lower on it. I don't know. S- something so, something about the, the John Favreau verse. It, sometimes you just need to let things end. And I get it. You know, he's, he's a man. He's got his action figures and he loves playing with them. And I, I get that. You know, like I, I total respect if if you gave me creative control of the Mandalorian. I don't know if I'd be able to restrain myself either. But just even thinking back to what we said earlier about cinematic universes, so many of my favorite things knew when to end. And and I don't know. I feel like at some point when things don't end, they get worse. Oh, that's definitely true. And I didn't shout it out in the when we were talking about it in the show, but like Breaking Bad was like the epitome of this, of of ending when it needs to. Yeah. And there's a reason it got as many awards as it did and, and was so well liked by fans because it told a complete story. And I think that's part of the reason why some folks don't like to see things end like like you were talking about everything everywhere like people want to see a sequel because the story was really good but we like i mean we also like complete stories so there's like this tension between part of what made it really good was that it was a complete package but yeah. i want more of that yeah. and so that tells me give me a sequel when really i think what we actually want is more of that creative 
person, like that person's creativity and that person, whoever, like people, I guess I should say, not just one person, but all the people that go into making something awesome. My, my quandary with the, with the Star Wars universe is that like most of the parts of Star Wars that I loved growing up were parts of the extended universe, Mm. the old Republic, even the new Republic and, uh, you know, past the Yuuzhan Vong war and like into that whole era. Those were the, those were the eras that I absolutely loved. And we lost all that when Disney took over mm. and they're trying to give it back and they're just not doing a good job with it. So it's not necessarily that the cinematic universe thing is the problem in my book. It's, or even the expanded universe thing is the problem. It's just that they're not doing a good, like they're, they're, poor, they're executing poorly. Yeah, that's true. I think if there are more stories to tell, like I mentioned earlier with Gendy and uh, Samurai Jack season five and things like that, or even like Better Call Saul, right? Like there was, there was, yeah. there were more stories to tell in that cinematic universe then let the creatives have the the pathway to tell those stories. But I don't know, Mandalorian, I guess it remains to be seen whether those stories are worth telling. <laughs>